And Lord, you've called us to be salt and light. You've called us to be laborers in your kingdom. And we cry out to you today for all of those that we support, that serve overseas, that you bless them and anoint them. God, we pray for our missionaries. Thank you for their faithfulness. And God, we are to be missionaries here, and we pray for the outreach tomorrow night at UGA. We pray for an anointing on that event. We pray that you, in the name of Jesus, would draw people to salvation, that you prepare hearts, that you put on our heart those we are to invite. So God, we cry out to you for a great harvest tomorrow night. And God, to the establishing of your kingdom worldwide, we give now in this offering. We sow into the kingdom. We love to give because we know that it's going to go help expand the gospel worldwide and even locally. So we give with joy and we pray for our children. God, we pray that you would capture their hearts, that they would love you so much they'd never want to uh, stray from you. And now we pray that you would anoint your holy word, that it would be living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword as it's proclaimed from this pulpit. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Well, welcome everybody. If you're a guest today, I encourage you to fill out this card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. You can either put it in the offering basket or you can leave it on your seat and we'll pick it up. We'd love a record that you're with us. Those of you watching online, you can go to our app and you can register there. All right, children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit right there. You are going to want your notes today because we are covering some serious ground today. So take out the back of your flyer that has the sermon notes. And uh, we're going to be in Jude verse 20. Jude verse 20. Still something coming out of that monitor right there. All right, so we've been in a study of the book of Jude. If you're new to Living Hope, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. And we've been in the, the book of Jude. It's a book about uh, strengthening the church to withstand false teachers. Now, I know we don't have any false teaching out there today, so it's not really that relevant. Ha ha, yes we do. It's very relevant. And uh, what we learned last week was that one of the best ways to be prepared to discern and not fall into false teachings is to be strong yourself. In other words, the best defense is a good offense. And we, I gave you some practical ways to grow in your relationship with Jesus. If you missed it, really encourage you to go back and listen. Very practical on how do you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So that's the verse we're looking at. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And really, today could almost be an additional point to last week because one way that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, according to Jude 20, because remember it's one sentence, is to pray in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk today about what does that mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Does it include praying in tongues? We're going to have some great Q&A today. Almost 30 minutes of Q&A in first service. And I got some homework this afternoon because I, my phone was blowing up with questions that I'm going to have to answer this afternoon. And I promise you if we don't answer it in the service, I will answer later in the day. So... First of all, let's talk about why would praying in the Holy Spirit build us up? Don't you want to be built up? Don't you want to be strong in Jesus? Don't you want to hear well done? Don't you want to be able to discern if false teaching comes, your spirit quickens and you're like, that ain't right. That ain't right because you're, you're strong. You see, the stronger your body is, the more you can overcome germs. 
Okay? When germs try to infect your physical body, if you're eating healthy, you're exercising, you're getting the vitamin D from the good old sunshine God gives us, etc., etc., then you're going to have a strong body to uh, overcome things that try to come against your body. Same spiritually. We need to be strong. First of all, prayer glorifies Jesus and exalts the gospel. Amen? Because it's Jesus in the gospel that makes prayer possible. Without what He did on the cross, we could not pray. Hebrews 4 says, We come boldly before the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood removes sin. Jesus' blood erases the barrier. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection is what makes us reconciled to God. Amen? You can't come to God on any other platform than Jesus. And so when we pray, it exalts Jesus, it glorifies the gospel because it's only through the gospel and the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus that we can even have this thing called prayer. Second, prayer draws you closer to God. It's our communication network. Any relationship that's strong has to have good communication. In the same way, our relationship with God, as prayer is a part, as prayer is guided by the Holy Spirit, it strengthens us. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Third, it strengthens your faith. We learned last week that faith is a, is a muscle, and in order for that muscle to get strong, it has to be exercised. One way to exercise your faith is prayer. Prayer says, God, I believe in you. Prayer says, God, I'm going to take you at your word. Prayer says, God, you say come boldly, I'm coming boldly. So prayer is a way of strengthening our faith. Fourth, it increases your discernment. Oh, how we need discernment today. Listen, you and I, every week, have teachings, devotionals, songs, podcasts that come our way, and, and, and we need to be discerning. You need to be discerning when you come here on a Sunday. Don't take what Pastor David says. Be like the Bereans. Examine everything by the Word of God. And so we need to have our discernment meter strong, clicking and connecting with the signals of God, so that if there's signals from the enemy or signals from just man and it's not of God, if, if the stronger you are in God, the more you discern that. You have that sense of, man, that just doesn't sit right in my spirit. You ever had that happen? That's probably God showing you this isn't right. You always check it with Scripture. You go to the counsel of godly people. Those are ways to be discerning. Five, it defeats the enemy. Prayer strengthens and builds you up because it defeats the enemy. Ephesians 6 says we're in a spiritual battle. And the last piece of the armor, which many people overlook, is prayer. He gives the armor and then he says pray in the Spirit on all occasions. The way you put the armor on is by praying. And so prayer defeats the enemy. By the way, you know why prayer is so hard? Because it's warfare. Satan will do everything he can to keep you from prayer, to distract you in prayer. And so the more we persevere through that, allow the Holy Spirit to energize our prayers, we're going to see victory over the enemy. Six, it improves intercession. We're called to intercede for others. And the more the Holy Spirit is involved in our prayers, the more effective it is in bringing about results. The Bible says if you pray anything according to God's will, you have the request that you've asked of Him. And then seven, it, it helps you hear God. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. That doesn't mean an audible voice, but you have that sense in your spirit. This is God. You have that thought that comes to your mind. It's consistent with the Word. You know it's of God. And so, seven ways in which prayer in the Spirit 
builds us up. Okay, so that's just a primer. That's the foundation. That's to get you going, okay, if it does all that plus more, I want it. I want to know how to pray in the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to know how to pray in the Holy Spirit? If not, then I don't know where you're at today. But I would hope that if you're a true believer, you would want to pray in the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to do so. Jude 20. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's a command. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? Number one, it is prayer that is guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oh, beloved, let me remind you, I will do this till the day Jesus takes me home. When you get saved, you get a ton of blessings. You get forgiveness. You get accepted by God. You become a son and a daughter of God. You become a part of the body of Christ. You get His Word to guide you. You have eternal life. Well, I'll tell you, I think one of the greatest blessings, maybe the best blessing, that comes when you get saved is you get the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. God, the third member of the Holy Trinity, comes to live inside of you. Wow! He calls you a temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in your spirit. That is amazing. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and indwells you to empower you, to lead you, to guide you, to illuminate the Word, to give you gifts, to produce the fruit, to make you more like Jesus. It's God living in you that produces Christ-likeness out of you. The Holy Spirit. So part of that is that He would direct your prayers. That would just be logical that, that prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, our three-circle diagram. It's the Holy Spirit putting on your mind what to pray for. So when you go to prayer, you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, bring to my mind the things you want me to pray for. Holy Spirit, help me feel what you feel. Help me be burdened. What, bur what, is, what burdens you, God? What's on your heart today? Where are you sad? Where are you glad? God, help me pray in line with you. That would be prayer in the Holy Spirit. Number two, it's prayer that is in line with the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit love each other a lot. They are never divorced from one another. <laughs> They're really good friends. Because remember, the Spirit inspired the Word. All Scripture is inspired by God. No prophecy was ever made by human origin. Men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. 2 Peter 1.21 and so the Spirit and the Word love each other. And so if you're praying in the Spirit, you're praying in, in accordance with the Word. You're praying in line with the Word. Yesterday up in the house of prayer, we had a little prayer meeting. It's the first Saturday of every month. And Juliet Sakandi prayed this beautiful prayer. And you know what it was? It was Ephesians 3. She was praying Scripture. One of the best ways to know you're praying the will of God is to pray the Word of God. Because His Word is His will. And she's praying for somebody, I don't remember who she was praying for, but she was praying Ephesians 3. God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their heart. They would grasp the height and depth and width and length of your love that surpasses all knowledge. That they would be filled to all the fullness of God. It's beautiful. So that was guided by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was guiding her to pray the Word. Okay. Now the first two, you notice, says is. Those are absolutely certain. The third one is can be. In other words, uh, you, you praying in the Spirit can be praying in tongues. 
doesn't mean that you have to pray in tongues to pray in the Holy Spirit. Am I clear? But praying in tongues can be a way of praying in the Holy Spirit. And I think I'll show that definitively as we look at various scriptures. Now I realize, guys, just relax. I know some of you, your, your tension just went up. Your blood pressure just went up. You got all uh, uh, uptight. Somebody even texted me yesterday, when you posted what you're preaching on, I don't even know if I want to come now. It's been so divisive. Yes, it has. That's why we need to teach on it. Hello. <laughs> the fact that it's been misunderstood, the fact that it has been divisive, means we need good, solid, biblical, balanced teaching. Hello. And I believe that today will be that. And so, first of all, it is not an essential to the gospel. Okay? It's, it, you, do, you, can, you can believe that tongues doesn't even exist today and still be saved. It should never divide us. I have sincere, Jesus-loving friends who are cessationists. That is the teaching that gifts like tongues and healing and prophecy have ceased. They don't exist anymore. It was for the first century. It was until the canon was closed and doesn't happen anymore. I strongly disagree with that. I don't think that's a very unbiblical teaching. But you can believe that and still be saved. And we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it should also never be pushed on somebody. Okay, and this is where some of the damage has been done. Somebody has an experience that's meaningful to them, and they try to push it on another and assuming that it's God's will that He do for them what He did for them. Don't push it. It should never be a measure of spirituality. Hello? It's not like, oh, you're more spiritual if you speak in tongues. And this is again where there's been a lot of damage done because people that get this gift and use this gift, sometimes they have zeal without knowledge, and they push it on others and, and assume that, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't agree with that teaching. So, at the same time of all that, we should want all that God has for us. Okay? Paul said, now again, let Scripture speak for itself today. Okay? I just encourage you to maybe remove your previous understanding, remove your previous experience, especially if it's been negative, and just say, Lord, I, I want to see your word for what it really says. And again, you don't have to agree with me today. Um, we can, we, but anyway, you've got to wrestle with these passages. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, I wish you all spoke in tongues. He also said in 1 Corinthians 14, I speak in tongues more than all of you. If Paul was glad he spoke in tongues... Sounds like it can be a positive thing. <laughs> now, could it be twisted and distorted? Of course. Listen, Satan will always counterfeit that which has value. You don't counterfeit a monopoly dollar bill. You counterfeit a real dollar. And matter of fact, you counterfeit a hundred. You don't usually counterfeit a one. You counterfeit a twenty or a hundred. The greater the value the more the enemy will try to distort and confuse and mess stuff up. Has he not done that with the gospel? Hello? <laughs> and so it only makes sense that he would want to mess with this. And just because he messes with it doesn't mean we should avoid it. Okay? Some of you believe more in Satan's ability to counterfeit than God's ability to give the real thing. That was good. You might want to write that down. Some of you have more faith in Satan's ability to counterfeit than God's ability to give the real thing. Okay? So let's examine 1 Corinthians 14 for further understanding. Oh, let me say this about 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. 
Paul is writing to a church that is misusing the gifts. He had, an, he had a golden opportunity to say, you know what, this is so messy, so divisive, just stop it. Stop it. Quit doing it. He doesn't do that. He says, forbid not the speaking of tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 at the very end, but do it this way. He gave guidance. He gave instruction. He shepherded. That's what I'm doing today. I'm shepherding this gift. Because I want it to be practiced, if God would have it, in a biblical way that's going to bless you and others. Okay? So just because even they were misusing it, he didn't say stop it, but he said do it in this way. All right. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. So see there, pray in tongues equals pray with my spirit. So in this passage, praying in the spirit is praying in tongues. Again, I said there's ways to pray in the spirit, not in tongues. But in this passage, clearly those two are synonymous. Furthermore, he says, but I will pray with my mind. So this is a prayer that kind of bypasses your mind. We'll talk about that. I will sing with, I will sing praise with my spirit and I will sing praise with my mind. What we just did in worship today was praising with our mind. You were thinking about the lyrics. We were joining together. We were singing in English, okay? That's, that's praising with your mind. But there could be times when you're just worshiping God and you're praying in tongues or singing in tongues different than praying with your mind or singing with your mind. You see the differentiation that he makes there. Dr. Wayne Grudem defines it this way. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise in syllables not understood by the speaker. You say, well, couldn't that open yourself up to the demonic? Not if you bind Satan and pray that you only receive what is of God. My dad and I were talking yesterday. Dad's here. And uh, this is cool. He's a retired Lutheran pastor who prays in tongues. That's pretty cool. And so we were talking about this yesterday, and I love what you said, Dad. You said, and if I, if I don't portray this accurately, just correct me. I think you said something like, one of the benefits that you have experienced in praying in tongues is that it helps you stay focused on God. Because when you pray with your mind... There's often distractions and things that interfere, but when you pray in tongues, it's coming right from your spirit, and so it keeps you focused on God because, in a sense, your mind is not getting interfering. Is that what you said? All right. Oh, he's standing. Hold on. When your dad stands, you bring him a mic. Honor your father and mother. I have found in praying in tongues that, that you're, you're, you're intentionally not praying in English or whatever language you have, but you're, you're saying words that you don't know. And when you're doing that, your mind seems to be empty. In other words, I can forget about what I'm going to cook for dinner. Yeah, come on. I can forget about whether that passage is right or wrong. I'm just empty. I'm just open. And it's, 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 that's all I guess I could say. I, I, when I was learning about speaking in tongues, I remember one writer said, 
speaking anything but English. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Uh, let your mind just, I don't care what you say. But you, you let yourself go, and you find your mind can't be thinking about anything else. But, but you're just not thinking. That's good. That's my experience. Good work. You want to give the rest of the message? <laughs> All right. Good definition by Wayne. Remember Jude 20 is one sentence. So it's building yourself up in a healthy way, okay? Consistent with 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. By the way, go back to the, the earlier verse. Notice it says, speak in a tongue, but earlier it says, pray in a tongue. Okay? Maybe a difference there. We'll talk about that a little more. But anyway, going back. So he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's the word, oikadameo in the Greek, oikadameo, oikos, house. It's always used positively. So it's a positive building yourself up, building your house up. Because the next passage, is this, or the next part of this phrase, same Greek word, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So here he's distinguishing between speaking in tongues, which we learn later in 1 Corinthians 14, needs interpretation. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is versus a prophecy which edifies everybody because they hear it in their own language. The point here is that it's a properly edifying yourself. So one of the benefits of praying in tongues, it builds, up, it builds yourself up in a positive way. I want to be as built up as possible. So that's one reason why I think we should want this gift. Now, I found it personally helpful, and I've seen it be very helpful for others to, to, to address how the Bible speaks of three kinds of tongues. This is very important. Um, Matter of fact, this is biblical because 1 Corinthians 12.10, 1 Corinthians 12.28 uses the phrase various kinds of tongues. So even the Bible itself says there are various kinds of tongues. First is Pentecost tongues. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the 120 are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in languages they did not know. They preached the gospel in languages they did not know. The hearers, because they had all gathered for the festival, hear the gospel, get radically saved. It helps to accelerate the spread of the gospel. Now, I have heard some stories of this occurring on the mission field. I know my brother wished he'd have got this when he had to study five years to be fluent in Japanese. But, uh, and I know many college students. The night before an exam in that foreign language class that you've not studied for. And you're saying, oh God, give me the gift of Pentecost tongues that I would know Spanish even though I haven't studied and aced that test. So it's, it's a person speaking in a language they've not studied. Others hear it. Okay, that's a known language. Second, public tongues. Okay, this is a word, not, a, not prayer in tongues. This is speaking in tongues versus praying in tongues. You're speaking a word for the public assembly. It must be with interpretation. So this is the one that requires interpretation that Paul is primarily talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, where he says, if any speak, not pray, in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn. So again, this is important clarification. When a person speaks or even prays in tongues, they have the ability of their will to turn it on and off. 
I believe it bypasses their human mind, but their will can turn it on and off. Thus, here he gives instruction. It has to be in order, one at a time, and let someone interpret. Okay? So it's not like this, this spiritual ecstasy where God just comes on you, takes you into a planet, in a stratosphere you've never known, and you can't control yourself. Maybe that's somebody's experience, but I think with most people, this is something that you can, again, turn on and off, but, it's to, but it, it, it comes from your spirit more than your mind. So the third type of tongue is prayer tongues. This would be what many call a private prayer language. This is you praying to God. It's not a message for the others. Okay, It's not a message for the assembly. You're praying in the spirit in a human or heavenly language. And our three circles shows where I say, show you here. It's from the Holy Spirit using your voice and you're praying to God or worshiping God or interceding for others. See, it's not, it's not the Spirit through your mind. That was one way we saw earlier is praying in the Spirit, okay, where He is guiding your mind. This is where it kind of bypasses your mind. It's from your Spirit through your will or voice box to God. Now, a big objection that some will have is they say it has to be a, human, a known human language to be legitimate tongues. I don't agree with that, and here's why. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. So the tongues of men would be a known human language. We had a testimony in first service about somebody who spoke in tongues. Actually, it was Lucius. Lucius, pretty credible guy, right? Y'all trust Lucius? If you know Lucius, pretty solid. He, he was given the gift of tongues, and he was... Uh, praying it uh, in, in, in a gathering and a, um, what was the Oh, Hebrew. A Hebrew doctor, a Hebrew professor heard him pray in tongues, knew exactly what he prayed. It was in the Hebrew language. Okay, so that's speaking in the tongues of men, but there also could be an angelic language, a known demand that could be legitimate praying in tongues or a private prayer language. Okay? Remember, Dr. Grudem said, you may or may not know what you're saying. Syllables unknown to the speaker and maybe even to the listener. Now, another passage that I think could support the third type of tongue is Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself, again, think of my diagram, intercedes for us through wordless groans. Some translations say, groanings too deep for words, sighs too deep for words, okay? And so I think that could be talking about that private tongue. Now, F.F. Bruce, very solid evangelical conservative scholar, not a charismatic, he says in his commentary on Romans, his commentary on this very verse, look what he says. Speaking to God in the Spirit with tongues may be included in this expression. And he's referring to that expression, groanings too deep for words. It was this very passage in Romans 8 that caused me to earnestly seek God for this prayer language. I wanted my prayer life to improve. I found myself often not knowing how to pray, often not being able to go more than about a minute in prayer. So I asked God to give me this help to help me in my prayer life. And one day I began to utter sounds, not in English. And I have built on that ever since. 
And it has blessed my prayer life. Now it just began with a few phrases that I didn't know what I was saying. And I found that as you practice that gift, the, the vocabulary increases. It's no different than learning a foreign language. You begin with a greeting or a hello or a goodbye or where's the bathroom. And the more you practice it, the more your vocabulary increases. And I've seen that in my own life and I've seen it in many others' lives. That the more It may just begin with a simple phrase or something that might even sound to them like it's just gibberish. And I get that some people will accuse people, oh, you're just speaking gibberish. Well, that's up to the Lord to decide and I'm not going to judge them. But I have found that as we open our mouth in prayer, and by the way, worship is a great way to get your spirit where it ought to be. Because worship is a definite way in which your spirit is really connecting with God's spirit. It's kind of a starting the engine. If you think of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, worship helps to turn the key and get that engine really going. And often it's in an atmosphere of worship and praise to God, and then just open your mouth and, and begin to utter forth what you feel God gives you. That's the way I received it. And then as I pra- the more I practice it, the more I have found that the vocabulary increases. Things that, that I didn't experience initially, I do. One of the ways that I personally uh, practice this is I will, I will say out loud a name, like my wife Dee Dee. And then I'll just let my prayer language flow. Then I'll say my children, let my prayer language flow. I'll mention you guys in Living Hope Church. I did this this morning for the message today, God. And then just let my prayer language flow. I don't need to know what I'm praying. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, it does say, pray that you may interpret. Dad, you've talked about this, that sometimes after you pray in the Spirit and in tongues, you'll ask the Lord to show you what you prayed. Sometimes you get a sense of what you prayed, sometimes you don't. I, don't, I mean, I think that's fine to do, but I don't think that's required. One more verse that I think supports this. Ephesians 6, again, in the context of the armor of God. And pray in the Spirit, same phrase, except Jude says pray in the Holy Spirit, but same thing. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So that, that phrase, kinds of prayers, shows there's different kinds of prayers. There's prayers of praise, there's prayers of thanks, there's prayers of intercession, there's prayers of warfare, there's prayers of just crying out to God because your heart is struggling. And so praying in a prayer language may be one of those kinds of prayers. You see? Alright, before we go to Q&A, let's suppose today that I have a gift that I'd like to give somebody. It's $40. And let's say that, that uh, one thing that is needed... What did you say? You already, want, you're already asking for it? All right, come on up, Mary Catherine. So one requirement, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time, promise you, is that I, I'm willing to give this gift. Now, maybe I, 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 I'm not going to give it to everybody, but one requirement would be to ask. Okay, ask and you shall receive. Now, another thing that I would want to question before I would give you this gift is how will you use this? I don't know yet. You don't know yet. How about, imagine how you might. Um, I would use it for something good. Okay, you'd use it for something good. Alright, you're well on your way to receiving this. What might the good, what might the good be? Uh, well, I know I'd tithe it. Oh, she would tithe it. By the way, the person in the first service, that's the first thing they said. So, that's 
four of the 40. So with the th remaining 36. I'd probably give it all away, honestly. You'd probably give it all away. Yeah. You probably would. I you wow. So if she had said, so be blessed, it's yours. <laughs> Good job. All right, so that was, that was my prerogative to give, but I did want to know the motives. If she had said, I'm going to take this, we're going to buy a six-pack and get wasted tonight, I don't think I would have been willing to give that. And so let me just walk you through what I view as five things that go into receiving this, should God in His sovereignty want to give it to you. Now you see how I worded that. I am not assuming that this is for everybody. I know some believe it's for everybody. Um, I believe that gifts are gifts. God can give them however. But I do know this. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And again, Paul said, forbid not. Paul said, I am glad that I speak in tongues. Number one, bind Satan. Yes, and a big question that came up in first is, can tongues be demonic? Yes, Satan can counterfeit gifts to the Spirit. But again, be careful that you don't believe more in his ability to counterfeit than God's ability to do the real thing. Here's a way to assure that you don't get tongues that's of the enemy. Bind Satan. We should do that when we pray every day. I come against the enemy. I bind any spirit of darkness. Do that for your mind. God, I pray that Satan be bound in Jesus' name. I claim the blood of Jesus over this prayer time. That's a good practice to do regardless. Now, if you speak in tongues and you're not sure it was of God, then test it. You can test tongues. The Bible says test the spirits to see if they're of God. Here's how you do that. God, if the tongue that I speak is not of you, remove it. If it's of the enemy, I rebuke it in Jesus' name and then see if you can continue to pray in tongues. I have tested tongues in others. I say you begin to pray in your prayer language. I will, as they were praying in their prayer language, in the name of Jesus, if this is not of God, we rebuke you, command you to leave. If it's of the enemy, they won't be able to continue. If it's of God, they will be able to continue. Guys, this is not complicated. You just do James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Okay? So first, bind Satan. Second, surrender to Jesus. Lord, I surrender all to you. This is good to do no matter whether you're praying <laughs> to receive a prayer language or just praying in your own normal language. Number three, purify your motives. Be sure that your motives are for the glory of God. You're not wanting this to look more spiritual. You're not wanting this to, to because people are pressuring you. And so this is, again, just good to do no matter what. Four, ask. Ask and you shall receive. You have not because you ask not. And then fifth, begin to pray. Open your mouth. Okay? Any gift requires a cooperation between us and God, right? The gift of administration, you plan, you organize, and you believe God anoints that. I believe I have the gift of teaching. That doesn't mean that I don't prepare. That doesn't mean that I just sit on my duff all week, get up here on the stage, and then God's just going to overcome me with a great message. It's a cooperation. I have a part and God has a part. In the same way, the gift of a prayer language, you have to open your mouth, begin to worship God, and then see if He doesn't just give you some phrases, some syllables, as Wayne Grudem says, that are not understood by you, and just let Him kind of take over from there. So I encourage you this week, I'm not going to coach you all to do this here. I don't think that would be appropriate. Your assignment is to take those five points. Get alone with God today. Get alone with God this week. Walk through those and see if the Lord doesn't give you this gift.
Now I want you to hear a testimony from somebody in this church, and then we'll have some questions. Growing up as a believer in a traditional church, I'd heard of speaking in tongues, but I only thought it happened in certain churches. Since being at Living Hope, I've learned so much about the Holy Spirit. I wanted to experience Him more in an intimate way, and I wanted the gift of tongues. I had people at church, my family, other believers praying for me. I prayed for myself. I thought this gift would bring spiritual edification, and it did. I was at home one morning alone, uh, spending time in the Word and praying. I started praying out loud, and then the Holy Spirit started praying through me. It was amazing. When I finished praying, I started praising God. I was singing. I was dancing. I immediately felt closer to Him. My faith and trust in God continue to grow. I know that I'm speaking directly to God because 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For anyone who speaks in, in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. My own mind is not getting in the way. It's His pure will. Romans 8.27 says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. Having this new prayer language has strengthened my spirit. It's helped me to withstand the work of the enemy, and I'm so thankful for God's gift. Amen. All right. Uh, while the, the mic guys get ready, raise your hand, text questions in. I will address a few that were texted in this week that I think are very relevant for the whole group. Number one, why do some believe this gift has ceased? I think it's a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 13, and I think it's just an overreaction to misuses. Um, why has this gift often been divisive? I would say due to immaturity, being pushy, um, it's, it's when it's not done in love, and that's why we need good, solid teaching and understanding on this. All right, here's a good one. What about people praying in tongues in a corporate prayer meeting? For example, our Wednesday night prayer meeting up in the house of prayer, a lot of the people there will be, will be praying in tongues. Here's what I'd say to that. First of all, again, distinguishing between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. So in that setting, it's not speaking in tongues that needs interpretation. At the same time, I think the principles of 1 Corinthians 14 about doing what best edifies the body and Philippians 2, regard the other as more important than yourself, that if, if it does, if somebody is, does have objection to it or it makes them struggle, then it'd be best to just refrain. However, I think it's important in a setting like that where it seems like most of the people are comfortable with it, just mention it every week. Bring some instruction every week. Say, by the way, some people will be praying in tongues. Does anybody have a struggle with that? Is that okay with everybody? And again, if it's not, then I think the loving thing to do is to defer for that meeting. Um, one of the things that I do if I'm in a setting and I want to pray in tongues and I don't know if it's going to be okay with those that I'm with, I'll just put my hand over my mouth and I'll pray in tongues kind of quietly and so it's not going to be heard by another and then maybe cause them to kind of flip out. All right, one that's texted in real quick. Again, raise your hand if you have a question. Uh, hey, Pastor David, does Pentecost tongues require interpretation? No, because Pentecost tongues is they're already speaking in the language of the listener. Um, so, oh, this is good. So if an individual uh, speaks in their prayer language or tongues or prays in their prayer language and there's no interpreter needed, 
then what is the point of doing it aloud in the presence of others when they do not know if it's an authentic prayer language? That's, that's again why I don't think you should do it in, in, in a setting where it could be cause confusion in others. Does that make sense? Um, not that you couldn't pray in the Spirit or pray in a prayer language even here when we gather or sing, but I think, again, it's, it's, it's the loving thing to do to not do it in a way that's going to bring attention to yourself or be heard by others. Um, because in those settings, then they may assume that it's a message in tongues that needs interpretation. So just for the sake of unity and to avoid confusion, I don't think that you should pray in tongues for others to hear unless you're in a small setting where everybody's kind of agreed that this is okay. We've got a question over here, Pestle. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about praying in tongues is edifying yourself so that can be praising God or interceding for myself. We don't know though because it's syllables that I have no idea what that means. Is it biblical to then pray for others in tongues that wouldn't be edifying myself but I would still be speaking in syllables that I'm not sure what I'm saying? If they're okay with it. You mean when you're praying with somebody else? Yeah, like if I pray for someone and I pray yeah. in tongues. I would never I do that unless you ask their permission. So you're, let's say you come to me for prayer today, you have a prayer need, and if I feel like I sh it would help me to pray in my prayer language for you, I would always ask you, are you okay if I pray in, in my prayer language for you? But in general, I just think it's probably best to not go there. I just think it, it could create confusion. Um, so I don't usually go there unless I know the person really well, maybe and know that they're not going to be flipped out by it. I just don't want to cause them to stumble. I don't, and, I, and I don't want to be any, doing anything that's self-promoting. You know, it, it, I've seen this is another reason why, unfortunately, this gift has been divisive. Some people seem to want to flaunt it. They want to look more spiritual. They want to, and, and I just, again, I can't judge their heart, but I just, I've seen that create a lot of division in churches when people start kind of flaunting it. So I, I would probably avoid that unless you know the person well. I have, I have one right here. Again, you can differ with me on that. That's just, and that's 36 years of pastoring. And that's also being in churches that have been very open to the Holy Spirit. Maybe not what you'd call full-blown charismatic, but God knows my heart. I have always wanted the fullness of the Holy Spirit in every church I've pastored, but also balanced with the Word. And I've seen abuses in so many places. And uh, we just want to be careful that we don't do anything that's going to cause division. Um, and that's why I think he sandwiched chapter 13 between 12 and 14. And that's the chapter on love. So this is maybe a follow-up on that. I'm just wondering, one of the more significant ways that the gift has been uh, counterfeited or abused in the church, um, I know in some cases... Uh, it, it like signifies, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit or being baptized. I know that's one, but I wonder if there's some others that maybe we should be aware of. So how do we know whether we're experiencing something that's valid or not? So I, I don't personally believe that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. My personal experience, I, was, I know I was filled with the Spirit for at least three years before I ever received the prayer language. Um, I saw fruits. I saw just lots of evidences. Y'all have heard me say this before probably, but I did a study of the book of Acts. Filling of the Spirit or baptism of the Spirit, what followed? Yes, tongues sometimes followed, but bold proclamation of the gospel 
was more frequent than tongues. So I think when a person assumes it's for everybody, assumes it is the sign of being filled, you know, and I don't agree with the teaching, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I, I, I don't agree with that doctrine. Um, I respect those who hold to that, um, but that would assume that you're only baptized or filled with the Spirit if you speak in tongues. And I've just seen way too many Spirit-filled Christians who didn't speak in tongues or pray in tongues. Um, so those are some things to avoid. Another would be, again, if you have tongues without interpretation. If it's spoken publicly and there's no interpretation, that can create confusion. And again, that's pretty clear in Corinthians what, that he's saying that shouldn't happen. Hey, Pastor David. Um, back to Romans 8:26, where it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Okay, that's the old NIV before they corrupted it. Um, to me, that's saying there is a supernatural communication going on between the Spirit and God, the Holy Spirit and God, okay? Because we can't express what we need to express, or maybe we're not praying for the right thing or whatever, all right? How can emptying your mind and just babbling words, no offense, how can that be interpreting what the Holy Spirit is saying to God? To me, it's that's pretty presumptuous that I'm going to just start saying things when there is a specific communication going on between God and the Holy Spirit there. That, that's the problem I have with the prayer language. I believe in speaking in tongues and the charismatic gifts, but I think that's, being, that's misinterpreting that scripture where the Holy Spirit is speaking to God, and now you're just going to start, start talking. Then what is the groanings too deep for words? It's too deep for words. It, 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 the words don't so express not, it. In other words, it's, he's interceding, but we're not saying anything. I mean, that's fine. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that we, is, or, or maybe I'm, for instance, maybe I'm praying the wrong way for something. I, like I'm praying for, I'm praying for my, my spouse to be fixed in our marriage, where the Holy Spirit's like, dude, the problem's you, okay? So he's talking to God sure. for me. Okay? I would say, yeah, but, I mean, definitely the Romans 8 is not crystal clear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I like F.F. Bruce. He just opens the door. It could be praying in tongues, but it may not be. And then I would go, I, my stronger defense would be the 1 Corinthians 14, where he says, clearly he differentiates between praying in the Spirit and praying with our mind. That's the one I would probably, that would be more of a hill I'd be willing to die on, theologically. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Th to me the difference is, is if a true speaking in tongues will, will be issued forth from you from the Holy Spirit, and not you just... I'm not saying you specifically, but not, not a believer just practicing saying things, okay? I think that's the difference. Just like prophesying should come from the Holy Spirit. We don't just go out there and practice prophesying and hope we start getting it right sometime, the or part, healing or anything else. In other words, the part that you're maybe struggling with in the way I presented it today is the part about where I said he bypasses our mind. That would be the I part so. maybe. Yeah. And that's okay. Again, I respect your, your yeah. but the, challenge the, of that. To me, the emphasis is that it comes from the Holy Spirit and we just don't start saying things and then hoping later the Holy Spirit develops our, our, our speaking in tongues. And I would I just say my experience has been exactly that. So I can okay. only speak, on there I can only speak of my experience. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's, I, I just, I would, I mean, I just, I know that I know that I know that it's of God in me when I do it. So, but again, I realize, and this is why this gift, more than any others, has been controversial and divisive because, listen, it's the most subjective. When a person is praying, saying something that you don't know what it is, that's subjective, right? Right? 
Okay? Prophecy is more objective because you can weigh it with Scripture. You hear exactly what they said. Uh, all the other gifts, pretty objective. So this is why it has been controversial and been divisive and why we need to be careful in how we practice this. Okay? Because it is the most subjective of all the gifts. Gail does a whole class on this, so it'll be interesting to hear what she's going to say. How's that for setting you up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh. Go ahead. Okay, well, first of all, I think we need to make sure we understand the clarification that Pastor David gave us where he, he talked about public tongues and praying in tongues. The public tongues originates from God. And then he uses a willing vessel to speak the tongue, the gift of tongues, out in a group. And that's why it's uh, required to have someone interpret it in the group. But when we are praying in tongues or praying in the spirit, it originates from our spirit and it's going the other way mm. to God. University of Pennsylvania did a study and you can look it up on the internet, and they hooked up electrodes to the brains of six women, and the way they said it was, who said they were praying in tongues, but that's what they were doing. And they hooked up these electrodes to the language center of the brain mm. that lights up when we speak to one another. But when these women were praying in tongues, the language center was quiet. Wow, that's interesting. Which just confirms yeah. that it was the spirit coming from your right. spirit and bypassing yeah. your mind. So that was support my three circles where it showed it from the spirit, our voice box, to God. Our will and our voice to God. All right. Can you please clarify the baptism of the Holy Spirit and is everyone baptized in the spirit that is a believer... When and how does that happen, if not at the moment of salvation? I personally, I know that you can take baptism of the Spirit as everybody's baptized in the Spirit at salvation. I get that, the Ephesians passage. Um, but because baptism of the Spirit is used in Acts, otherwise, I think you're, the baptism and the filling are the same. That's the way I take it. So that's why I prefer to use the language filling of the Spirit, because Ephesians 5.18, it's very clear we're to be continually filled with the Spirit, it may begin at a moment when you surrender at a deeper level and yield to God, but I prefer to talk about the filling of the Spirit rather than a baptism of the Spirit because it puts it in the ongoing present now, being filled every day. But I would, I would put baptism of the Spirit and filling of the Spirit as the same, but I understand there's differences on that. i got a ton of text questions. I've got a, I've got a thought on... Yeah. Um, our unity in the essentials, Good. diversity in the non-essentials, but love in all things. So this more falls into the non-essential category of that, that we can come together right. and worship God together whether uh, we believe the exact same thing about right. a tongue or uh, exact thing about healing yep. or of end time events. It kind of, it falls into that category. 100%. Yeah, that we can could, come in here and we can worship together. That's right. I, you could I be a people, cessationist and be a member of this church. I'm going to do a push for our, my next step class. I tell everybody in my next step class, that's your membership class, 
that it's, it's too late. It's too